0: Hey there, thanks for taking the time to listen in again to me talking straight from the heart about what has been on my mind this week about living a life of impact and purpose and creativity. And today I wanted to talk about how we communicate about climate change and sustainability and the type of vision of a future world we want to create. The history of the environmental movement has been built Upon reacting to bad things that are happening, climate change, deforestation, desertification, oil spills, forest fires, extinction of species, it was all about terrible things were happening. We had to make a lot of noise about these bad things and had to try and get the attention of people and of government leaders to say, no, 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 this is what we don't want. And that's what the last 30, 50 years of the environmental movement has largely been about. But in the last 20 years, roughly, We've really emerged as a complex and enormous and dynamic profession, which is far more detailed, nuanced and technically proficient than where the environmental movement started about fighting for things that we didn't want to happen. The environmental profession is an enormous industry. It's even bigger than biotech. We look after how we get clean water, how sewerage systems work, how building energy efficiency is managed, how the electricity grid can create renewable energy, how cars can not make air pollution. I mean, the list goes on and on. Parks and gardens, arborists and city trees. I mean, there are thousands, maybe even millions of people every day working in their professional capacity to maintain our environment. And so what this means that as environmental change makers and sustainability professionals is that we need a whole narrative, a whole new narrative, a whole new story, a vision, a destination of where we want to go. That is the world we are for, the community that we are building, and that has grown out of, has matured out of the movement that has been just talking about all of the really bad things that we are against. And as you know, if you've been following me for a while, this is one of my greatest passions to talk about and illustrate and academically understand and to practice this wonderful craft of how do we set the snowball, how do we set it on fire, this type of movement and passion for building a better world. And recently I was watching a talk about biophilic cities and some psychologists were there and I can't even remember how it came about, but it was about using different types of phrases and words to try and tap into that dream and that vision for a better future. And in the talk, they were coming up with different types of words that we could use. And all of these type of words have meaning to them, have really wonderful and exciting and energetic and imaginative types of meanings to them. And we can weave these words into the way we're trying to implement our sustainability and climate change programs. And when you learn to communicate this way, your whole story will take on something that is entirely different. A whole new universe will come about when you try to communicate this way with these type of words than if you're doing it the old way, which is talking about the bad stuff that we're against. And now I'm not saying we have to completely stop doing that. It's powerful. It has its purpose. We need to still keep being really hard on the bad things that we don't want. But what I want to see is, Three, four, five, six, tenfold, grow the new movement of telling the story of the world that we are for. And I wrote down all of these words. I have 24 of them. And I wanted to invite you to start to just imagine and ideate and sketch out how you would use these words to tell your story about what you're trying to change. So the first one is discover, beautiful world, discover. Okay, so I'm just thinking about discovering new worlds, discover the new type of future that your community can be about. Discover the power that's inside you to create a better world. Let's discover a new age of humanity. Let's not let humanity fall down in in the dark ages of plastic pollution and fossil fuels and greed and capitalism and cars and traffic and too much television and screen time. Is that really what we're about? Let's discover what humanity is truly capable of. Let's discover what you are capable of. What you are capable of contributing to your community, what you are capable of inventing, what incredible things you can come up with in your life. This process of discovery. Second word is belonging or to belong. Hmm. Let me think about this one. We don't belong in a world that is destroying nature to try and serve our ego or our materialism. We belong in a world. When nature and sustainability and respect and kindness is around us. Our children belong in a world where they get to grow up with green walls and green spaces and trees and vegetable gardens. Our cities should be places of belonging, where we feel a sense of place and a sense of community and a sense of creativity and connection and love. We need to bring the sense of belonging back into our neighbourhoods and communities so we're not segregated like islands, not communicating with each other but we have a sense of friendship and family. There's been this growing sense of loneliness and disconnection, which is weird because we have so much social media now to connect each other. Why is this happening? We can blame COVID, but it's bigger than COVID. So how do we bring belonging back into communities? Can we connect our communities around this central vision to have healthy, happy, safe, ecologically sustainable, harmonious communities that are about more than Who's got the biggest house or the best job or the coolest car? I mean, that age is gone. We want to be about something more. What is our sense of belonging in the new ecologically sustainable future? Third word is curious. Oh my God, this is one of my favorite, favorite words. I remember Elizabeth Gilbert talking about the word curious in terms of the context of finding your passion. Everybody's all about Find your passion and then you'll never have to work a day in your life. I tell you what, I found my passion and I work really, really hard and still have to do lots of boring, hard stuff. I do not think finding your passion is necessarily a recipe for happiness or success at all and doesn't matter. But anyway, what she says is don't really ask what your passion is. Ask what you are curious about. Follow your curiosity. Passion is a kind of a big and intimidating word. I personally don't even think I really use it. Maybe I do. But ask the question, what are you curious about? When we're talking about sustainability and climate change, a lot of the narrative has been about what we need to stop. You need to stop doing this. You need to give up doing this. You need to sacrifice doing that. And that is true in a certain type of a a lens. But I think there's something much more fascinating about this big task ahead of us about rebuilding a sustainable civilization. And this thing, nobody is talking about this, right? This is the multi-decade, passionate, now I've used the word passion, the multi-decade, curious ingenuity of long-term problem-solving and creating that you will do through your entire life. This is not just riding your bike instead of taking a car. This is not just recycling or using a reusable coffee cup, right, we all start with these simple eco-behaviors But as you start to get into your career and into your change maker journey, people start operating with this deep level of innovation. And eventually, once you've been doing it for 10 or 20 or 30 years, you'll become like a real expert in one particular domain. And what is really going to create the type of change that we need? Yeah, we need to get rid of fossil fuels and have government policy and all that, but The real engine of change is that ingenuity of people solving the difficult problems. Figuring out how to make compost bins that you can keep in an apartment that don't smell. There's so much R&D just about that one thing. How to make the coffee cups that are reusable. That might sound like really simple, but 10 years ago, like they didn't exist. And now there are all of these people trying to figure out how to make the perfect coffee cup etc how to make green walls small modular green walls that anybody can install on a facade what about really big commercial green walls for skyscrapers i mean they need to have they need to have so much environmental engineering going into figure out how to make a multi-story high green wall you've got all of the soil substrates you've got how strong it is you've got the geotextiles that sit onto it you don't want to fall apart and leak soil you've got to understand the botany of all the different plants the watering system has to work it has to be Responsive to the elements. It has to be maintained. There's one company developing machine learning robotics that can actually sort of climb up the wall and help maintain the green wall. I mean, we are not going to be able to re-engineer cities unless people are putting in decade after decade after decade of their own deep mental investment into solving all these little minutiae of problems. I spoke to one guy in the Netherlands a couple of months ago who is working on a system of being able to put trees on office buildings that weigh less. Now, you might think, oh, wow, biophilic ecotopia future. Let's just put trees on all of the buildings. But the thing is, a tree and all of its soil and the container it comes in is really heavy, right? So buildings aren't built to sustain multiple trees on them if you wanted to put trees on an existing building and now if you've got a new building and now we're going to double the amount of mass on that then you have to put way more steel and way more concrete in which is very very carbon intensive so is it really a green building if it takes that much steel and that much concrete to cover it with trees these are the design problems that need to be hacked at and they need an intense amount of passion and focus coming back to our word curious curiosity how curious can you be to uncover the next invention and the next problem solving it doesn't need to be one big fancy technology it can be something that's well I don't want to use the word small because I don't think it's really small but figuring out how to get a tree to grow in in a substrate that's not going to be so heavy that you cannot actually put trees on the top of buildings that's year in year out problem solving and promoting and trial and error and that is where we follow the thread of curiosity do not fight sustainability and climate change through the lens of fear through the lens of anxiety through the lens of hopelessness through the lens of of hatred this is a terrible energy to come from take on sustainability and climate change through the lens of curiosity what do you love what fascinates you what problems can you solve what excites you to tinker at I've just been working on this little browser icon. It's like a little mushroom that floats around on your browser and it will and it will communicate the carbon emissions of the electricity grid. It's an idea I've had for a couple of years, and then a company wanted to wanted to do it, so we're making it. And for me, like that is my art. That's my curiosity. We can make something fun. It's kind of like a game, it looks cool, it's really easy to use, really easy to build, it shows environmental data, it connects people with a sense of joy and fun and environmental impact. It'll lead them to taking an actual behavior change. I am curious, I'm highly curious as to how we create these experiences using environmental data and use them to captivate people in a way that creates joy and creates action and kind of builds this kind of momentum. Curiosity is the thread. So what are you curious about? What are the people in your audience curious about? What is your following and your movement curious about? That is the thread that will take you to epic innovation that will change the world Fear, hate, doom, anxiety. It's got a short and limited shelf life. It is a ham-fisted communication approach and it is a very blunt instrument. You want to be careful and very thoughtful about how and where you would use something like that. Curious, 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 much better. Word number four is desirable. What a beautiful word to use. So when we're talking about forest fires and air pollution and people in different countries getting you know the, the terrible short end of the stick with climate change, which some regions will have, we're talking about all the undesirable things. Yes, it's true, still wanna talk about it, but let's talk about what is desirable. If we're gonna talk about what's bad, we better also be talking about what's good, what we do want to happen. What is desirable? Having cities rich with deep, luscious trees, getting rid of cars, having really good public transport and bikes. I hate cars. I can't stand cars. I want cars to go. It is a desirable world for me, one where we don't have to worry about cars. Having ecosystems regenerate so you can see little creatures and animals and flowers and butterflies and birds, chirping birds everywhere in cities in your lunch break. Rich, nutritious, rewarding food for everybody, not just if you're on one of those like fancy, organic, vegan, meal delivery services, a vibrant, rich food-growing system that's distributed to people. That is desirable. A world where plastic and trash just doesn't exist. That's desirable. A world where people of all different types of backgrounds and races and cultures can get along and not be nasty to each other. That's desirable. What is this desirable world? What is desirable for you? Just think about how you can weave that word in. Well, this one's nice, explore. Let's explore the world of biophilic cities. Let's explore the future universe of a completely renewable energy powered world. Let's explore your full potential of what kind of impact you can have. I mean, you can have so much fun with these words. These are like the building blocks. You know, this is like a Lego set for telling a story about that will just like set people on fire, right? Oh, my God. And this is actually where it all started, Flourish. There is this guy. Now, I can't remember his name. I think his business is actually called Flourish. He's a biophilic, uh, environmental, positive psychology guy. I think his name is Corey. Corey. Now that's not much help because I can't remember his last name, but this idea of human flourishing, how do we help neighborhoods flourish, schools flourish, children flourish, how do you flourish? How does your creative curiosity for a better world flourish? I mean, this is the type of energy you want to get out to people. It's a beautiful, beautiful word. Try to weave it in. Word number seven is connection. Let's get rid of this age of loneliness and really start to create a connection with each other about what we care about, about our values, about people in communities, connecting on the bigger meaning and purpose about what we're about. I'm going to go through this a bit more quickly now because I'm just I'm just rambling here with these words. Okay, word number eight is ingenuity. Where is your ingenuity for improving the world, for fixing the world, for inventing things? What is our city's ingenuity? What is our community's ingenuity? What kind of ingenuity is in you for what you can contribute to the world do you think you've hatched it open yet have you become all you can be already probably not I think most of us still have something left in us no matter how old we are what age we are we still feel like there's something left to share so when you tap into your ingenuity who knows what's there do you feel that you have like a 10 out of 10 like 100 percent that you've completely maxed out your ingenuity I mean I don't I mean I feel like I'm just starting like who knows what's what's out there giving myself chills now motivating myself with all these words (laughs) number nine this is an interesting angle choices when there's a narrative of sustainability that you have to always make do with less and that this is uncontrollable force of bad things are going to happen to us. It can be nice to describe the idea of choices. We have a choice of what world we want to create. We have a choice of how our children grow up. What sort of choices do you want in your life? Many of us are lucky enough, privileged enough, we've put the work in, to be able to be employed in an impact-orientated profession. But a lot of people, they're not there yet, so they might not feel a sense of choice. They might feel like the only employment options I have are really shitty jobs with shitty companies and they haven't quite put those runs on the board yet to be able to get paid to do work that they that they love or it might not be an option to them at all depending on their background or what country or area they live in so opening up to people that there are other choices life doesn't have to be this way we can influence our lives we can influence the lives in the world around us So open up for people this concept of choice. Oh, number 10 is forge. This is a fun word. It makes me think of like Thor's hammer and Lord of the Rings and like forging swords and, and metal. But how can you forge ahead? If you wanted to forge something new in your civilization, in your life, in your school, what would you forge? If you had a magical power of just forging things, machines, buildings, governments that did things differently i mean (laughs) imagine if you had like lightning bolts kind of coming out of your hands and you could be like i'm going to forge and then i'm going to forge and forge what would you forge what kind of change would you make happen it's really fun kind of empowering way to think here's a, a nice one number 11 is active how can you get active what can you activate how can you be active in your community how do your children become active lovely a just a nice sounding word nice copywriting to use number 12 is commitment it's asking people to make a commitment this is actually really powerful in the psychology literature they call it If you're designing something, a commitment device or a pledge. And that's because deep in the core of the human mind, right back into the evolution of wherever we sort of branched off from the common ancestor, one of the things that made human evolution different to the rest of the primates was our ability to work in groups and to develop language and develop trust between each other. And one guy explained this to me once saying that if we say like, oh, I'm going to go to the coffee shop, would you like to come? And you'll say, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll come. And then you start walking, even though there's not really any gravity to that experience of going to the coffee shop. If you just kind of like wandered off halfway and started going in a different direction, it'd be really weird. And you probably would not stay friends with that person unless there was like a really good reason. So our ability to make these basic commitments, like I will walk from A to B with you and to communicate that is so deep in the core of the human mind. That's why when we're asking people for commitments and for pledges, they really work in trying to get people to do stuff. You can write people something down like, I pledge to quit smoking, I pledge to do the dishes, I pledge to eat more vegetables, you know, and then I pledge to do eco friendly X, Y, and Z. It really works. So when you're asking something of people, instead of like scaring them with like bad things going to happen in the world, you can say, let's make a commitment to a better world. Let's make a commitment to zero emissions. Let's make a commitment to a school that grows food for our children that reconnects them with nature. When you phrase it like that, a commitment is a really nice sounding sort of word. And most of us, most of the time, like the idea of commitment. We like the idea of trust. We like the idea of commitment in relationships and in friendships. So it can be a very warm and embracing type of word to use. Number 13 is competence. That's interesting. Let's have some <laughs> let's have some environmental sustainability competence. Let's be a competent company and do right by the environment, do right by climate change. Let's be a competent city, a competent school. Number 14 is be engaging. How do we engage people? Are we engaging? What can we do that's more engaging? Then we've got the word effective. Let's be Effective at getting to zero waste. And can you see how all this language I'm, t- I'm using and the way I'm describing it is all about the vision and the destination? That is the new way of doing environmental communications is that you talk less about the problem and you talk mostly about the destination, and the vision we want to get to. And all of these words will thread you into that story. So how do we become effective at getting rid of all of the petroleum cars and getting onto EVs? How do we be effective at changing the roads to get more bike lanes? How do we become effective at growing our own food? Number 16 is to empower. Lovely word. Let's be empowered to create change in our communities. Let's be empowered to make eco-friendly homes. Let's be empowered to all get along with each other. Let's be empowered to run our economies in a way that works for people, not just for profit for a few. Number 17 is to learn. Learning is a hobby. Learning is fun. We have documentaries, like a, a movie and a learning experience in one. Let's learn about each other. Let's learn about how we can be better people. Let's learn about the architecture of making buildings work in harmony with nature. What can we learn about this process? It's a lovely word to use, a lovely sentiment. Number 18 is meaning. At the core of everyone's psychology is a need for meaning. We all need meaning. You might think that you just need a house, some basic friends, and a job. It's not true. We deeply, spiritually all crave meaning and is a fundamental human need. And when people don't have meaning, they get really fucked up. They have all sorts of problems. I mean, I personally put my quest for meaning and purpose just absolutely the absolute center of my life and I put money and food and even relationships with people are kind of like outer to that sort of core meaning and and, and purpose and it's a real internal rock that i have that i've cultivated over many years and i notice that a lot of other people don't have that inner rock they're really kind of shaky and wishy-washy with their own inner sense of purpose so especially when we're telling this very powerful very meaningful story of the environment and trees and climate change and the future of humanity and the future of our children i mean meaning is centered to this Concept, and I think we should always give meaning more gravity rather than less. I don't think it should be, well, let's kind of like always reduce it down to like money and selfish interests, and we'll kind of just, just kind of like fragilely, kind of like childishly, like just say that, you know, maybe we should think about meaning. I think you've just got to like cut through everything and go straight to it because no matter how powerful or wealthy somebody is or famous, we all have the same fundamental spiritual craving for meaning no amount of any material success or wealth fixes that for anybody doesn't matter who it is you can cut straight through to right into the center of somebody's soul through the conversation of meaning and i would not shy away from that when people start saying that oh sustainability is expensive and we can't afford it and all the all the things no one's going to care all the things that people come up with just hit right into that meaning matters purpose matters why are we here What is the meaning of our life's work? Don't be ashamed of it. Okay, number 19 is problem solving. While we talk about problems a lot, you know, it's fun to problem solve. Let's problem solve around carbon emissions. Let's problem solve about the amount of petrol that cars use. Let's problem solve about rainfall runoff and about concrete. You know, it has this kind of like pro-action agency, you know, let's like get together and, and, and fix it up, like, like fixing up a house or something. You know, it's, it's a great sentiment to, to, to bring into the whole quest. Number 20 is to participate. That sounds very like activisty and kind of like political, but great. Let's participate in the unfolding revolution of whatever the future of humanity is. Let's participate in a new process. Let's be active from the last word. Participate, participate. Think up something cool. Number 21 is responsible. Now, this reminded me of the first ever academic study that I read on environmental psychology. And it it really jumped out at me because it said that basically why altruism is not the best way to engage people in environmental change. And I was really trying to understand, you know, like these deeper drivers for how to get people to care. And is it altruism? Is it not? Is it identity? Is it why? Like, why should anyone, why does anybody do this? And what it talked about was the responsible person approach. That when you go and try to ask somebody to do something through altruism, you're kind of also saying that if you're not being altruistic, you're kind of being a bad person. There was more to it, but it's kind of a weak way of going about it because it puts people in this dichotomy of are you this nice altruistic person or are you this kind of like this bad selfish person? But what they recommended was this idea of what they called the responsible person approach. Most people really like the idea of being responsible. They have a strong identity about being responsible. When I've done many qualitative interviews with people about what drove their environmental behaviors they'll say that one word. It's because I want to be a responsible person. We really value this in ourselves. And it's a a powerful way to get into people's identity. Not so much because we need to be a bleeding heart for the earth, but that we are self-respecting people that do the right thing. So ask people in your community, how do we want to be responsible? How do we want to be responsible for this? And you can get, I think you can probably cut past, a lot of the politics and the drama and the kind of like hippie earthy stuff, because very rarely will you want to meet someone who does not want to be recognized as being responsible. It's a, it's a deeply held value system. And number 22 is satisfy. That's an interesting word. I don't even know where I'd go with that. Satisfy. How do we satisfy our need for a better world? How do we become satisfied with who we've become as a civilization? How do we become satisfied with the communities that we've built around us? Interesting to ponder on, word 23 is talent. What a different lens to view environmental change through, through the lens of talent, than through the lens of fossil fuel companies are destroying the world. I mean, what can we do with this word? Like what sort of talents do we have within us? What talents are there in companies? What kind of potential of talent is Inside engineering companies, software companies, architecture companies, even like construction companies that build roads. Don't we all have special talents in us and special gifts that we can bring out to try and reimagine everything to be better? And how do we put our talents to work to make the kind of world that we want to make? And final word at number 24 that I've got here on my deck is to understand. How do we understand our carbon emissions? How do we understand the type of materials that go into the products that we use and the type of chemicals that are going through the supply chain? How do we understand where our clothes come from, where our food comes from? And then after we've used it, where does it go? How do we understand this great complexity of what made our world the way it is? And how do we understand the processes of how we improve it so we can make a better world? I think this concept of deeper understanding, it connects with The kind of joy of learning of how we love to learn we love to explore we love to intellectually unravel things to try and understand them more deeply you can weave a wonderful story through this concept of understanding the great tapestry of what is life and materials and ecosystems and energy and technology and the flow of all these things about how they fit together and where our place will be and how we're going to change everything for the better well, that is the 24 words. I was only going to read them out really quickly. And now I went on this long, long roll about going on and on about how you could tell the story of sustainability in all these different ways with all these lovely words that you can use as Lego box, Lego blocks and ingredients to help tell your story about how you're changing the world. And you can help inspire and captivate people and weave them in to your mission. Because you've got to do it by centering people around a vision, about something that they can believe in, about something they can fall in love with. Just telling the story about sustainability and the environment alone is, is very, very limited. There's so much more that we can do. We can really, really flourish, flourish, flourish uh, in the way that we're telling the story. That's one of my big life missions is to be able to tell these captivating stories, kind of like I tried to do in my TED talk about optimism and creativity and just keep doing that just keep getting better at it keep telling the story that really sets people alight in in this wonderful wonderful mission that we have wonderful industry wonderful movement wonderful craft of what it is to rebuild the biophilic environmentally sustainable future civilization of our dreams signing off now thanks for listening to my podcast from the heart and i'll see you next week Thank you.